0: This is Hunting Land, the podcast for land hunters and land owners, with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-to's for habitat management and land investment. Clint, not much need for the uh, the rut report anymore, and the waterfowl migrations. I don't guess we need those, but uh, there's always something to talk about uh, when it comes to hunting land. And today we're going to be talking about something that everybody's looking for, and Believe it or not, that's water fish. Pretty excited about the show today. We got a good one planned out. I know that's something that you and I run across all the time is what kind of ponds are on the
1: property. Yeah. And really I hear a lot is always what's a pond versus a lake? I think that's a rabbit hole for another day.
0: (laughs) If you go up to Minnesota, then they'll tell you that every single thing we have down here is a pond. So you know, one of the questions that, that we get a lot is, you know, about building ponds, but ultimately what what they're going to put in them what they're going to do with them what's in them currently so today we got norman latona on the show with us and he's the president over at southeastern pond management norman uh, welcome to the show man uh, tell us a little bit about southeastern pond
2: uh yeah thanks joe great to be on southeastern pond management we're actually celebrating our 30th year in business this year we started uh In 1989, down in Auburn, Alabama, when we were a couple of us were finishing up uh, school there. And so, we, uh, our idea back then was to service mostly private landowners uh, that had lakes and ponds and help them manage their fisheries and obtain their goals and meet their objectives. And um, over the years, we've certainly expanded our geographic range and uh, as well as the scope of what we do Uh, not only do we stock fish and and lime lakes and fertilize lakes but we also uh, do quite a bit of vegetation control work we do uh, even some commercial industrial vegetation work on big reservoirs work on a lot of golf courses uh, homeowners association lakes apartment complexes office parks pretty much if um, if it's a water body and you want to manage it, uh, we get involved in some manner. We, we do get that question a lot, too, in, in terms of uh, how can I build a, a pond or a lake? Uh, so we, we get involved in that part of it as well.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at, you know, southeasternpond.com, sepond.com. And, man, if, if there's anything that needs to be done with a pond or a lake, you guys are just about doing it for sure. But, you know, today we're going to answer a question that we get a lot. And that's really about how to stock a pond and really the differences that, that come into play when you're talking about stocking a new pond, one that's just been constructed versus uh, one that maybe is existing on a property. And should you consider restocking it? So, you know, let's get right into that. When it comes to a new pond, you know, what kind of requirements and, and what do you see down here? I mean, mostly you're going to be stocking for bass. That's your typical kind of trophy fish down here, right?
2: Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, The vast majority, uh, 90% or better of our customers, uh, whether it's a brand new lake to be stocked or an existing lake that's being managed, their primary goal, primary objective is to trophy bass, quality and trophy bass production. So when we talk about stocking new lakes, new ponds, and I use those terms interchangeably by the way uh, right or wrong we always have Uh, but so when we talk talk about stocking new ponds we typically are attempting to push things in the direction of quality and trophy largemouth bass production and there have been major major improvements changes different strategies in terms of stocking new pond stocking in the 30 years we've been involved with it we could have a show uh, just on genetic improvements for largemouth bass for example but suffice to say the the genetics that are readily available from the standpoint of fish for stocking particularly largemouth bass are as good as they've ever been and so we're seeing some really phenomenal results clearly the timing, uh, the quantity of the forage, the uh, quantity and quality of forage, and, and other factors come into play in regards to producing quality and trophy largemouth bass. Uh, but as, as far as genetics, there, there's, there's some excellent options out there that are very readily commercially available now, and that's what we're using to stock these new lakes.
0: Well, before we get to stocking a pond, uh, if it's a new pond, if we've got the ability to, to control the construction of that pond, what, what do we want to look for in terms of, of size, not only acreage size of the pond, but, but also the depth? Is there a rule of thumb that's, you know, where you guys say, look, this is too small or this is ideal in terms of size and depth?
2: You know, there's really not, Joe. Once we get over about an acre or so, there are some challenges, special challenges associated with really, really, really small, less than an acre, less than a half acre bodies of water in terms of maintaining a balance. Uh, and we won't get into all those details, but once we get to, to an acre roughly or so, which is about the size of a football field is is the way we describe it. Uh, and I'm talking surface acres, surface area, there really aren't any limitations. Obviously, a 10-acre lake holds a lot more fish and grows a lot more fish than a five-acre lake, Uh, just common sense. But in terms of growth rates, average size, uh, growth rate, maximum size, uh, there's really not a discernible difference. And we manage lakes and have had phenomenal success on properties and lakes that are just a very few acres in size all the way up to six seven eight hundred acres in size the depth question which we get a lot it really doesn't doesn't matter we when we talk about minimum depth for a lake we're more concerned about factors outside of, of fish production mainly vegetation control uh there's certainly some issues that we run into when we're dealing with depths of less than, say, 36 inches or so. That That's kind of the ideal depth, minimum depth in a pond. Lakes that have large areas of super shallow water tend to have vegetation issues. Uh, the fish don't really mind it though. So, and I, and I always use this example uh, to kind of make the point about water depth. We have some production lakes over in uh, western Alabama that we grow primarily shad we grow some bluegill but we primarily grow threadfin shad there we do grow some bluegill and even a few bass those lakes are average about four feet deep and they pretty much are four feet from in the end and that is very typical of production lakes in the aquaculture industry whether it's catfish or fingerling bass or shad or whatever whatever you're dealing with and so I always tell folks, look, if the water depth made a difference, production facilities would have deeper ponds because they're we're trying to maximize production per surface acre of water. So the water depth really doesn't make that much difference. In fact, uh, once you get deep enough, once you get beyond three or four feet of, of water depth, it really can complicate matters to have extreme depth obviously the deeper you, your body of water is the more storage capacity you have so you can tolerate droughts and when the water drops and things so there's some reasons to have a little bit of water depth a little bit of storage capacity but as far as production of fish the growth rates there's certainly no no reason to have uh, super deep water it's just not necessary
1: what about when you're restocking a pond, how do you determine when that's needed and are there any steps you need to take on on that versus a new pond?
2: Probably the most important thing, once we get beyond the construction, assuming proper construction and proper depth and all that, whether it's a new lake or you know certainly in cases of existing lakes that we're, what we refer to as renovating, the most important step typically in restocking is to completely eradicate the existing fish. And that's in brand new lakes that have creeks that feed them, just as it is in existing lakes that have uh, mature, developed fish populations. So if we're, if we're at the point where restocking an existing lake is prescribed, the fish community, the fish population is, is at a point where it's untenable, it's unmanageable. We definitely want to start with a clean slate. And so there are methods we use to, to go in and just wipe everything out.
0: Why can't the new fish cohabitate?
2: Well, they can, but, but what happens is, and, and we look, we stock a lot of fish, what we call supplemental stocking, prescribed supplemental stocking. So we may look at a lake and say, uh, hey, uh, this thing's a little bit out of, out of whack, a little bit out of balance. We need to enhance the forage community. We need to enhance the amount of food that we have available to the bass. So we we may approach that by adding additional forage. We may also remove predators, remove bass. But generally speaking, when we're starting from scratch, we want to eliminate any competition when we stock new fish. Just an example, when we stock bluegill, typically new ponds, we stock bluegill fingerlings. They may be one to two inches in length. Uh, and let's say we stock them at 1,000 per acre. It really doesn't matter what stocking rate we're using. If we have existing predators present, if we have even large uh, bluegill present, we have no way to control the impact that those existing fish are gonna have on the new fish that we've added. Most likely, we're gonna get some significant predation depending on the abundance of existing adult predators. So it it becomes um, a real guessing game. Mm -hmm. It becomes very challenging. It's much less predictable in other words to, to stock a lake that has existing fish in it yeah it sounds so, like you know we're
0: trying to manipulate if you're trying to manipulate multiple variables at once and it's really hard to make an exact i don't want to say guess you know but it's 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 hard to predict the results if you're manipulating multiple variables so by, by eliminating those, those resident fish you're able to get back and kind of clean the slate so to speak
1: very
2: much so and again uh, we typically stock new lakes and renovated lakes with fingerling fish so these guys are, are pretty susceptible to predation you know they don't have size as a defense so you know here we are stocking fingerling size small fish and even fingerling size bass when we come in and restock bass you know they may be two three four inches in length They don't have much of a chance of escaping predation if there are adult predators present.
0: What about other factors? So so if you get those fish out, if that's step one, what else comes into play as far as an assessment when you're doing a restocking?
2: Generally, what happens with restocking is with existing lakes, we frequently, our first glimpse at what's going on in the lake or our first contact with the lake is, we do our electrofishing survey and you know our, our we have equipment boats that are that have equipment on them that allow us to, to sample the fish community with with electricity and it's generally harmless uh stuns the fish temporarily and allows us to kind of see what's going on below the water so when we get to a point in that assessment where we say look we're we're seeing things that are that are really unmanageable Uh, For example, maybe we are seeing a lot of uh, undesirable fish species. Maybe over the years, the lake has been inundated with species that we would prefer not to be there. You know, maybe it's crappie in a certain situation. Maybe it's catfish. Maybe it's... uh, golden shiners or green sunfish or gar or bowfin or you know there, there's any any number gizzard shad it's overpopulated that's generally our first step we'll introduce the, the client to the concept of restocking now here's the, the manage as it is option and here's what we can realistically expect in terms of cost and result and here's the renovate start over option and here's what we can reasonably expect in terms of cost and result so so that's usually where we where we make that determination and at that point we can eradicate the existing fish population and start with a with a clean slate and and at that point it's really no different than stocking any brand new
0: lake I see. So what about, say, water quality, weed control, things like that? Is that something that you have to deal with before you start stocking, or is that something you can deal with after you've stocked fish?
2: You know, Joe, I think ideally you would deal with most of those things on the front side. Uh, However, that's not always practical, feasible, Uh, depending on the time of the year. Let's just say we have a lake that we've renovated uh, over the winter, and it's got plenty of water in it. We're ready to stock it. Uh, but we know it has a known vegetation problem. We know last summer it was inundated with vegetation, and it's very likely going to be inundated again uh, unless we address that. So we don't necessarily hold off on stocking uh, the lake because the timing is right. But, you know, ideally, sure, if we if we know that the lake has a, a really low alkalinity, it needs lime, uh, let's go ahead and get it lime either before or, or during the new fish stocking process.
0: All right, so we've got our pond, and we got it where it needs to be as far as water quality. We've got those fish out, or we're starting with a brand new pond. Now we got to choose what kind of fish we want to put in there. So you've mentioned catfish twice, and I, so I'm going to bring up something that I've always wondered this. I think Clint Clint's actually the one that, that brought this up to me, and but I've always wondered it myself. Why do you see guys separating catfish from bass?
2: Our approach uh, over the past thirty years is has been, in terms of what the clients, the customers' desires are, we're not here to judge that. Uh, so we 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 stock all kinds of different fish in all kinds of different situations. But the reason that you hear talk about catfish—that's not a good idea. We don't want to have catfish in a in a bass lake. Is get, gets back to that. What what is your primary goal? What's your objective? And so, if the primary objective, uh, or maybe even the sole objective, is trophy quality and trophy bass production, when we have a conversation with a customer, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend to them that they stay away from fish like catfish that ultimately are going to compete with those bass. For food and space. Now, you know, if they say to me, look, catfish is super important to me. We want to catch them. We want to eat them. We love fishing for them. Then, uh, then sure. I mean, we stock them and, and, and we do it fairly, fairly commonly, fairly frequently, but, uh, particularly everything you add on the predator side and, and make no mistake in a catfish, uh, a one to two pound catfish. Once they get up to that size and bigger, they're, they're predatory. Uh, everything you put in. Uh, has an impact, has an effect. So, uh, that's why you hear the idea or the talk, talk about, you know, catfish aren't really a good idea to put into, uh, into, into lakes. Kind of hear the same thing about crappie and we stock quite a few crappie, And there are situations where uh, where they can be introduced and be a positive, uh, certainly not be a negative. But they also uh, can be problematic. And they certainly, as they get uh, larger and mature, they are predatory. And so we have to weigh the benefit of adding something like that versus the cost of impacting the bass production again if that's the primary objective do we really want to add those additional predators
0: makes sense okay so we've got predators and we've got what else y'all call it forage species right i mean
2: yeah that's right the prey species the forage species and look that's the key to all of this i mean everything we do from water quality improvements you know, liming, fertilization, even supplemental feeding—all of that is geared toward enhancing production of forage. Uh, quite honestly, it, it's a that you know everybody's a little bit familiar with the with the concept of a food chain. Well, you know the the lowest rung on the chain, the lowest link in the food chain in a pond is the planktonic organisms that float around in the water. And generally speaking, the more fertile. The better job we do of liming and fertilizing, the more productive the water will be in terms of producing planktonic algae and, and planktonic insects, zooplankton. And the more productive uh, we are in in the, at that level of production, the more food is directly available to the prey species, the forage species that we introduce, whether it's bluegill, shellcracker, golden shiners, threadfin shad, fathead minnows, uh, you know, tilapia, crawfish. There are lots and lots of different forage options for these lakes. And the forage production ultimately dictates the bass production. So the more food we can produce over a wide range of sizes, the better off the bass are. And the more productive they are, the faster they grow, the bigger they get.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk about building ponds and pond management. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know, how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. And we're back. Today we are talking with Norman Latona on the show with us. He's the president over at Southeastern Pond Management. So we've got our forage species, we've got our predatory species. Is that something where we can stock those two species in concert with each other, or do we need to space that out and let the forage species have time to Get acclimated. How do you guys go about timing that?
2: Yeah, generally you're on the right track there. What we want to ideally, we want to wait to introduce the primary predator, typically largemouth, until the lake is inundated, is full of food. So we do tend to space that out. And ideally, and we were able to do that a lot this year because we had so much water, so much rainfall. Most of our lakes were full by December or earlier. So we We introduce forage of all different types in December and January, and a little bit even in february and so those fish have a time have time to marinate in there they have time to grow feed in some cases even reproduce and by the time we get around a stocking bass, say in may or or even in June, it's a buffet there's a lot of food in there, and that's the key to it so when we stock those bass fingerlings in June, they don't have to search for food. It's around every corner. And and they swim around and eat. And it's not unusual to see just incredible growth rates with these largemouth these improved genetics. Their growth potential is off the charts. I was mentioned to you guys earlier, we actually sampled Electrofish, shocked up a bass a couple of weeks ago down in South Georgia. So it was in February. this fish was probably born like most bass in april or so this fish was approaching nine and a half pounds this bass that just goes to show you the growth potential of these things obviously that fish swam around and ate every time she thought about eating i mean it was uh and and otherwise you just don't see that kind of growth so definitely we want to put forage in well ahead of the bass we want the forage to be established well before the bass go
0: in. That fish sounds a lot like you might be related to Clint. (laughs) Yeah,
1: definitely have the same dieting habits.
0: (laughs) Oh, me. So, uh, all right. So, we've got kind of the the trophy management layout there. Now, what about a guy like me? You know, I like to catch a big fish as much as the next guy. But for me, I'm the other end of the spectrum where I want to be able to uh, eat what I catch and, and I'll I put a, uh, I guess, a premium on being able to catch some fish, have a fish fry and have maybe a variety of species. Is it possible? Is it reasonable to believe that I could have a pond and have healthy populations of vast catfish, crappie, bluegill or other type of panfish? Is it, is it believe that I could have something like that? And would it take a special type of pond design to be able to accomplish something like that if it is possible? It's
2: completely reasonable. And, and and we do it quite a bit. And there's nothing detrimental or negative about that. Uh, when you back away from, hey, my objective is to produce 6, 8, 10 plus pound largemouth bass, and I don't really care much about anything but that. Uh, When you get away from that, certainly, absolutely, and then that's not at all uncommon. And we do quite a bit of that. Now, the timing of introducing those different species is important. The way we tend to approach it is, bass and bluegill are going to be the primary predator and the primary prey. So let's get those established first. You know, a a good example would be, you know, let's say we stock bluegill in the uh, winter this year. We come back in in May or June and stock bass fingerlings. Generally, the way we approach it is to say, if you want to have catfish, for example, uh, let's wait until uh, the following year. Let's, let's give the bass and bluegill a time to establish themselves as the primary, as the dominant species. Let's not compete with them at all. Let's not introduce something additional to the equation for for the first year and after that if we want to add catfish for example then sure let's add them you know one, one of the things that i didn't mention earlier about catfish is in most cases catfish uh, won't reproduce uh, which is a good thing in terms of managing those guys we can pretty much count on we can pretty much count on them not reproducing so we can add and, and we can stock catfish that are eating size just they're just as readily available as as fingerling catfish so we can add those things and take them out as we please stocking crappie is a little trickier in our experience and we have some phenomenal crappie fishing lakes i mean lakes that you know you'd pay to go crappie fish in the springtime those outstanding crappie lakes tend to have threadfin shad in them maybe gizzard shad but but they tend to have threadfin shad in them Crappie, they don't really feed like bass do. They're not really a lion-weight predator. They they don't tend to spend as much time hiding behind logs and up in the super shallow water and chasing bluegill and and other types of bait that that spends time in those areas. Uh, They like to be out in a little more open water, maybe even a little deeper water, where species like threadfin shad spend most of their time. And so... It can be a little trickier to get crappie introduced, but we have lots and lots of lakes that have fantastic crappie
1: populations. And what about Oxbow lakes, ponds or lakes down in the floodplain where you get the supplemental stocking from Mother Nature that you just can't control? What's your advice on managing those?
2: Clint, those those can be tricky. Typically what happens is you get a major flood event and the forage species in particular get either forced or looking for some calmer water looking away to get looking to get away from the fast flowing water. And so they find their way up into these upper ends, which are ultimately what you're describing is these oxbows and flooded areas. And so naturally the predators follow them up in there. Uh, you know, they follow the forage They Look, they need to eat. And so everything's great. And then all of a sudden the water drops and there's no escape. Uh, so whatever you've got in those bodies or that, that's what you've got. And it's really unpredictable. It's really difficult to say what's in there. In some cases, we've seen these lakes perform phenomenally for periods of years, just kind of by chance. You know, there were lots of forage. Uh, that made their way up into these lakes when the water receded, sure there were predators there but there was plenty of forage to sustain the predatory pressure and they do great. In other cases uh, we see just the opposite of that. You know we see these oxbows just inundated with predatory species, you know, gar and bowfin and crappie and bass. and and catfish and so they can be tricky and it's difficult to go spend a bunch of money say doing some supplemental corrective type restocking when you have no idea when you're going to have another one of these flood events so you know those are kind of natural wild if you want to call it they're more They're a little more difficult to manage long term. And so you just kind of do what you can do. We can still, when the water recedes, when, when we have a, a static body of water, we can treat it just like any old lake or pond. We can lime it. We can fertilize it. We can put supplement, we can put a supplemental feeding program in place. And in some cases, we can even do corrective restocking and stock additional forage. We go in and, and try to remove some of the undesirable predators all the time knowing, you know, ultimately we don't have complete control uh, that uh, mother nature is going to come and change things up for us uh, any day.
0: Well, Norman, today has been—it's been uh, it has been eye There's a lot that goes into uh, you know how to stock a pond and do it correctly. You guys have got it down to a science, but I think what I've learned here today is that it's a science. There's some certainly some rules of thumb that you can use, but ultimately it's going to depend a lot on your property, uh, what size pond you've got, uh, what your goals are, what your objectives are. So if folks want to get more information from you and maybe have you guys take a look at their property, uh, whether they've got a pond existing or, or thinking about building a pond, how can they reach out to you and get in touch with you? Uh,
2: yeah, sure. Uh, the reality of it is we're a service business and we're, we're in the business of servicing whatever our customers' needs are. If, if they're looking to have crystal clear water that they can swim in if they're looking to have lots of vegetation because they want to see a bunch of listen to a bunch of bullfrogs at night we pretty much have a solution for for all of that kind of stuff and we're happy to happy to answer questions and And help folks work toward their goals and objectives. That's, that's what we're in business to do. And I'd love to talk to any of those folks. They can look us up on the, on the internet. We maintain a a pretty comprehensive website there at www.sepond.com and they can uh, contact us uh, that way uh, through, through our website. And they can also call us directly. Uh, we have a toll free 888-830 7663-888-830-7663. Seven six six three eight 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 three
0: zero seven six six three. That's eight three zero pond p o n d. Well, Clint, that was a that was a crash course on how to stock a pond. I think Norman's got it figured out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he's had a lot of practice and a lot of education.
0: That's right. Well, what it all you know kind of ties back in is if we're going to have a managed pond, if we're going to have a, a pond at all, do you see? that you know over your 15 plus years of selling land that a pond that's being actively managed or even just a land uh, land with a pond on it that has fish in it uh does that create more value for the landowner
1: it does all water features are valuable but especially you know a stocked lake or pond uh and even more so one that's being actively managed the way that he described today it just as to the turnkey aspect, we've touched on a lot, you know, in several shows, A, it just, there's a rarity or scarcity issue here that there's just not many tracks available for sale with uh, stock lakes and ponds out there. So it just makes your track more unique so the track sells faster and typically sells for more money as well.
0: Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. Guys, we want to hear from you got any questions about the show or want us to email it to you each week just send us an email at pros at landhunting.com that's pros at landhunting no g.com